Hey everybody, this is Jeff Ashkin, Los Angeles, California, with Roy Cole in Jersey City, New Jersey, and Derek Kessler in Yokohama, Japan. And this is Coast to Coast to Coast, part two of our discussion on the greatest superheroes of all time with guest host, Drew. My second favorite character is a very uh maybe boring choice for some but for me it's a I, I love superman and i think that if batman is kind of the intellectual position you know uh the you know what what numbers do we have to crunch here to make this happen superman <laughs> is the true moral position which is why they go together like peanut butter and jelly um yes. in comics um and if you're watching the right cartoons i might add uh right. and i've had a very interesting journey in my life and that I was born when the movie came out like that, my mom literally wrote on my baby book what happened this week Superman came out you know and it's like <laughs> oh, okay and uh, grew up with those movies and rediscovered those movies when I met you in college Jeff and then that was when they decided to make a direct sequel which was really strange with Superman Returns and then uh, somehow that movie's always come back to me in my personal and professional life which has been a delight uh but that character is again as a parallel to captain america um i think he is about taking a moral choice it's not always that it's the convenient choice but it's the right thing to do and i feel like uh, one of the reasons people get superman so poorly um especially nowadays in movies and tv shows mostly movies is that they don't understand that he's not a big blue boy scout because he, because that's lame. He's a big blue boy scout because you need that voice and that right. not everyone's always going to come from the same perspective. And at a time like this with um, a lot of unfortunate perspectives about what makes us Americans and, you know, what makes somebody a human being and whether or not they deserve respect and, you know, agency, you can find posters of this character from the fifties talking to people about how awful and useless racism is. And that from a very early time, maybe not as Jeff pointed out, maybe not from the earliest years, the pulp like years. Um, but, but not too long after it became a great way of bringing messages to kids. And, and I think as we've been joking with nightcrawler, unfortunately, I think we've entered a time where it's not really a question that the landscape of the people who speak for us, have kind of lost sight of that stuff. And mm. maybe we've, we've shied away a bit too much from this, the moral stance and what's the right thing to do. It's not the easy thing, but it's the thing that will help all of us. And uh, I'm really anxious and hoping that a character like Superman will find its way back into the mainstream sometime soon so that we can all start remembering what it's like to look up to and, and identify with and project into characters that want to do the right thing. You know, maybe we don't all have to be Lou Bloom from Nightcrawler. But uh, but I think that's what that's what I really find interesting about the character. It's not just that he's impervious to harm or can fly around right. really quick. That stuff is you can apply that to any number of superheroes you like nowadays, you know? Yeah, I always thought that Superman. First of all, I have to, I, I cannot think of Superman without thinking of Christopher Reeve. And his performance to me is almost as legendary as Superman because he had to play you know, someone who was fantastical but grounded in reality. That for some lit, for some litude that you know, of course, the director Richard Donner would uh, state in the production. And I thought Christopher Reeve's performance 
just encapsulated all of those qualities and just, you know, not to be not to be corny, but he really made you feel a, a man could fly. Just in the sense of of his personality, of course, uh, and of course the way he would he would actually do the flying scenes, which was very it seemed almost effortless, and you forget that that was very difficult to do. I mean, there was a lot of wire work. He'd be up in the air for hours at a time, and, and of course, more importantly, the the idea of Superman, someone doing something, you know, for the good of humanity because he really cared about every person. It just, you know, it's a very heartwarming and and uh, you know, good feeling uh, to get from a movie about a guy who flies around and can shoot lasers from his eyes. So, you know, there's a comedian who asked, uh, "How does Superman fly faster?" Like when you think about it. So, like the way he flies, right? He kind of puts his hands out and he flies. But what if he wants to go faster? Like what? What exactly does he do? Um, do you know I what guess, I'm asking? <laughs> I, I, honestly, uh, as much as I love comic books, there are there's a whole subgenre of books and and documentaries of people trying to explain this with science that I don't have the attention span for. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, the science of superheroes. I believe was a book that came out. Not to disrespect anybody, who put their effort into it, but I believe. It gets into things like gravity manipulation and solar absorption and things that, hey, if that's your bag, awesome. But um, I, I think that it really comes down in my mind to interpretation and creative intent because you can mm. do things in a subtle way with like motion lines or body body design in a comic or to Chris Reeve flying and Jeff talking about his uh, how effortless he made it seem he actually would do very subtle things with his body when he knew that was the point that he was going to fly faster as if to apply that he was flexing some, some form of muscles that we ourselves wouldn't be able to identify uh, when mm. their mental muscles, uh, Brandon Routh who did Superman returns was a, was, he was a swimmer. So he brought all of his swimming techniques into trying to um, invoke what, what would appear to be a physical conscious decision um, so I, I like to default to people being creative, however, that their, their creative art might be as an expression, whether it's um, drawing or filming or performing. Uh, I just like to see what they do with that kind of concept. I'm less interested in how that would work in real life, if that makes sense, Rory. Yeah, that would oh. be funny if uh, he just started uh, like doing the breaststroke in the air to like, <laughs> move forward. I think <laughs> he like, did, actually. Dude, dude. He's like that's what i do in the water so i think when I, I think when i fly in my dreams i start trying to swim because my i don't know what else to do being that i'm in the air and move around so i don't know about you guys like if you have any mechanics when you remember flying in your dreams but if you ever saw me flying in my dreams it would make you laugh so hard you'd fall over crying because i'm just do you have to like wait your head out. like when you swim you lift your head out of the water so that you can breathe and then you put it back in the water and then back out of the water. I think that's how swimming works. I'm not particularly good at it. Um, <laughs> but if you're already in the air, would you still do that? Because you don't really need to. I don't think so. Air. I think so. I you think... would skip that part. Yeah. yeah. I, I had a dream I could fly, but only for a short period. Like, I think because my brain had had been so trained to play video games where flying was like a special privilege. You could only have like a short bar of flight. 
that's what I had. Like I had like Princess Peach from Super Mario Brothers Two level flight. <laughs> You're just but, really good at jumping. I have yeah, exactly. I have a theory about that because I've <laughs> also found my dreams try to come up with like really convoluted reasons why I'm only getting short bursts of flight. I think that your brain is working overtime to keep you grounded and make you believe whatever's happening so it can get through REM or whatever. And mm. it's having to stress itself out, making sense of everything. It, it, it just comes, you just instantly come up with, I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like whenever something happens that doesn't make sense, my brain comes up with an excuse pretty quickly. Like, Oh, now it makes sense. And so I think right. it's the same thing with flying. It needs you to just stop, uh, stop questioning what's happening. So it's like, fine, we'll take flying away. If you don't want to have fun with this, then no one gets to fly. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting you say that because in terms of i always feel like my dreams seem to have a way of trying to set up rules and if i i've if they're influenced by a piece of media that i've seen then like the rules are implied like for example i dreamt i was one of the gummy bears from the disney cartoon and i drank gummy bear juice and i was able to jump really high and it lasted for the duration of i think about a couple minutes then i wasn't able to jump anymore that's gummy berry juice. I mean, that's, that's right. legit yeah. gummy berry juice, man. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I really, I, my, my brain really, you know, set up the rules of this world. And, and I, and I was able to achieve that. I don't know what that has to do with flight, but anyway, just talk about the rules of a dream. It's interesting. Anyway, I, I, I find I'm always disappointed and frustrated with myself when I wake up in the morning and I think back to a dream that I've had that I can clearly remember and just remember my 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 subconscious pulling tricks on me that I would shouldn't I should have been above I shouldn't have fallen for that like you know you have something in your hands and it's like this makes no sense and then like matrix style warps into the thing that makes sense and you're like sure and you just keep going on you're like how did you fall for that I actually I actually had a dream that I I went back in time and I li- I cannot I don't know how to express this but I had this dream that I went back in time to my body when I was in like fourth grade and the feeling of dread that I got when I went back in time was so palpable because I felt like, oh no, now I have to relive all these days that I have no control over and it's going to suck. And I was so happy to wake up and know it was a dream and that I was in, you know, the current time. And I'm like, oh, thank God I didn't go back in time. Like I was legitimately happy that my time travel experience was, you know, uh, not possible. Yeah. So you had the opportunity to go back and relive your life with the knowledge yes. that you have now. And you were basically <laughs> like, screw that. I don't want this. I was, I was not happy. No, because I had to like be in like, you know, elementary school classes. You know how long your elementary school <laughs> life was? It was. Yeah. But you could forever. drop so much knowledge on people. You're like, <laughs> I don't true. need this. I'm just going to buy some <laughs> Apple stock. Screw you guys. That is true. I don't know. Drew. I I am with Jeff 100%. I I don't think that I can. I think that your brain has to work so hard to be grounded when you time travel that unless there's an out plan, like if I have like an in and out plan in a time travel dream, it's awesome because I'm like, I'm going to go to this store and buy this thing that I can't own now, right? But if you're actually stuck and you're missing your classes in school, like everybody has those dreams, it's a nightmare because you know what's coming. You can't do anything. You're trapped. And I think to Rory... Again, my ruining. By the way, it's Roy. Not we'll have to Roy. edit out. No, Rory. I say Rory. No, I say okay. Roy. They say okay. Roy. They come off as Roy. It's oh, like Roy. R O Y. Sorry, it's my. It's my. Did I call you? I don't even. My. I can't tell when it's my Florida accent or if I've just had a brain fart. Rory, which is weird. I no, no, that's. 
we'll have to edit all this. Uh, so sorry, Roy, just this Roy. R-O-Y, yeah. No, wait, is it? Wait, it is Roy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It sounded like Rory. Oh, I said Rory. I thought it was. Yeah. Wait, where is that? What I... you heard, Jeff? I heard, I heard Rory too. Yeah. Oh yeah. wow, jeez. We'll just change out the name. I just want to. I just want to say really quickly. I yeah. legitimately double checked to make sure that your name was Roy because I hadn't met you before, and my brain, up until the point you just corrected me, was like, "No, it's Roy. <laughs> it's Rory," and I'm like, "And so you're telling me what?" It just it refused to acknowledge what your name was, so that yeah. sucks. Ah, um, like we're in okay. a dream right now. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, sure, that's a, you know what's weird sense. is um in middle school a bunch of these girls uh would call me Bob. Like they couldn't remember my name, so they just gave me the name Bob, and uh, they're like, "Oh, Bob, quit being so silly." And I, I'm like, "I'm not Bob, I'm Roy," and be like, "Stop it, Bob." Uh, <laughs> that's horrible. So, uh, so yeah, what what, what, what in the cool. world was I talking about when I called you Rory? Uh, you were talking about you were talking about, but going back dreams. We were oh, yeah, talking so, about yeah going okay, back so in time. I was saying yeah. that like I, I can't in my dreams. I think that. Oh, yeah, now I remember. Okay, I'm back. I'm back. Okay. So I was trying to say, again, going back to the whole de-romanticizing um, Roy's fantasies, uh, which I'm sorry I keep. That seems to be my sole goal on this podcast. I'm pretty sure if you just started dropping like info bombs on people like that, they'd sooner or later figure out something's wrong, put you somewhere you don't want to be, make life harder. So they're like, this kid's got psychic abilities. And then the government shows up. And the next thing you know, you're on an operating table. So it's just like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't see a happy ending. If you go back in time, in your kids no, that's so. true. You would have to be very clever about it. You'd have to yeah. get like a couple things wrong, like you'd have to <laughs> like predict the Super Bowl incorrectly just to show that that you're fallible. I, yeah. yeah, you guys have a plan. I see it. All right. I'm, I don't know. Uh, I, I like Jeff. I, I'm with you, Jeff. I don't want to go back in time. I think uh, right. I'd rather have the younger body than the than the, the past. Yeah, it's, I agree with you, then. All right, so that, now that that topic has been covered, uh, Roy, why don't you go to your set number two? So I, I just I'm fantasizing about like owning people oh, left and right because I know it's gonna happen. Oh my gosh, uh, the the ownage that would occur. You will be uh, the inventor of ponage. Yeah. You know yes. what would happen is like you think that people would um would like be very humbled like, but they would just be as, as jerkish as ever when you predicted the truth. They would be right. like, oh, I knew that anyway. Like, like, they wouldn't even give you credit for it. People <laughs> suck, man. I, I'm, like, preemptively mad at how <laughs> these <laughs> hypothetical people in my time-traveling past would react. Okay. Um, well, uh, number two, right? Number two comic yes. book hero? Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. My number two comic book hero is uh, the Toxic Avenger. Oh, awesome. Uh, I, now, so, full disclosure, I, I w- last watched this movie in uh, like 1990 uh, when I was six years old, but I remember loving it as a kid. And there's also a cartoon that actually uh, came the out Toxic around Crusade. that time. Yeah, Toxic yeah, the Toxic Crusade. Crusaders where he had a bunch of friends as well. Um, but yeah, I like the movie because uh, I related to what Drew was saying about how Batman and other comic book heroes ha- have been a little, um, uh, I guess, sanitized, made a little friendlier. For, for today's generation. Uh, the Toxic Avenger was not. Uh, he straight up murders people uh, in cold blood. Um, 
like there he was a nerdy guy and and then he fell into like a vat of ooze and became the toxic avenger and uh, and he was always picked on on by bullies when he was a nerdy guy so naturally when he becomes the toxic avenger he goes back and kills all the people that picked on him which which i appreciate <laughs> like it's like yeah that's probably if you had superpowers i, I think a lot of people would do that and uh, and then i like that after he killed someone uh, he would leave behind a mop that was uh, his his calling card <laughs> and uh, yeah i just uh, i enjoyed how sadistic he was cuz uh, it was just such a um a, a disparity for, from like the typical superheroes at that time, and and really s- anything I've seen since. I guess there's been a couple darker superheroes I, since then, but he was pretty dark for the time. I got a question for you. Um, just because I have never seen those films, I I need to know like, does he do anything heroic? Like, is there something that establishes <laughs> him as a a hero? So, yeah. So ostensibly, he's killing bad people. So. The idea is like the people he kills were bullies, like they picked on him. So the kind of the idea is they got what's coming to them. Um, also, the bullies are made to be like very over the top. At, at one point, they um <laughs> they like take an old lady's walker and beat her with it. Um, so these are like the worst of the worst bullies. So then you don't get too hung up on the fact that he's killing these people. Um, and then I think later he kills the mayor of the city, but the mayor is also really corrupt. Um, so yeah, they are trying to to establish that he's killing quote unquote bad people, but he's he's definitely very um, cavalier about taking justice into his own hands. And uh, you know, unlike I feel like in Spider Man or something, he would leave the villains or yeah, he would leave the villains tied up in a spider web for the cops to find them. Uh, Toxic Avenger was not having any of that. He, he was just like straight up ripping up their insides. Um, yeah, not leaving them for the cops. So I always appreciated that. Certainly was a change of pace uh, from, <laughs> from you know, the idea that there was a uh, a hero, but what def- what defines him as a hero is someone who, you know, is doing justice. What do you define justice as? And of course, let's let's make sure to mention this. This is from Troma. Uh, Lloyd Kaufman's company, who was known for doing movies that were, I would say, like they were they were campy B movies, but there was a lot of fun to them. Um, I I've only seen a couple of their films, but this was I think their biggest hit. I, or is, certainly, I, sorry, go ahead, Drew. I would also add they are provocateur films where they are intentionally yeah. offensive. So yes. they they, yes. they may have fun aspects sometimes, but they're definitely also meant to be pretty gross and, and yeah. challenge what you think is acceptable. <laughs> yes. Yes. And this, I would say though, but wouldn't you say this is like their, their most, um, uh, not say popular or their most, uh, well-known hit. From Absolutely. There? Yeah. I would say so. Yeah. But, um, no, that doesn't make a choice because I never would have thought of that. Um, he, uh, is definitely a very interesting character. And, and I have to say this, the the guy who played Melvin Junkie, Mark Torgel, uh, shows up on my friend suggester every once in a while. It's very interesting. Uh, he's uh, a very interesting character. Character. He's a very interesting person. He posts a lot, and he seems like a really cool guy. So, just wanted to give out a shout out to the guy who played Melvin Junkie. You're awesome. I'm looking at. Uh, I just went to his IMDb profile. 
and his main picture, uh, he's holding a giant mop. So he's really like embraced uh, his role as as the toxic avenger. But the Troma family, I believe, is is a family. There's a, there's a lot of people who work a lot in those films, and they're very a uh, very good group of people to work with. From what I can tell, I, I worked with somebody who did a Troma film, and he said nothing. He said nothing but great things about the experience. I'm just I'm just floored about how I wish I could go back in time to my kid self when Toxic Crusaders came out and with the knowledge that his origin uh, of that cartoon character was that he murdered everyone who did him wrong <laughs> as soon as he got his powers. And it's yeah, just the like, cartoon oh, was a lot more right. tame. Yeah. I would say, I actually remember part of the theme song where they said, Toxic Crusaders, Toxic yeah. Crusaders. They're gross, but they still get girls. <laughs> That's actually a line in the song. And now I think about it, that's a very problematic thing to say, actually, now. <laughs> I think it? about it. Uh, I don't know. Can be well, seen as uplifting. Then, uh, then maybe know. it was still on brand for trauma at the end of yeah. the year? Yeah, it was on brand. Yeah. But I do remember that. It's interesting, a time in this country when R-rated material uh, was, was uh, sanitized for kids. You can get action figures of RoboCop, Aliens, Terminator, and, of course, Toxic Crusaders. Uh, um, another yeah. sidetrack. There is an aliens cartoon pilot that exists somewhere oh, that I we never that. saw. I think there's some screen grabs online, and I'm like, please, oh, please awesome. release that. Well, in in spirit of what what Roy was saying, I'm going to do my number two choice, and this actually was the first. I would say one of the first R-rated movies I saw, but certainly one of the first R-rated superhero movies I saw. Um, I'm going to go with the character of Blade. Uh, I really enjoyed the, and I, I have to say, I didn't really read the comics, but I'm really going off the first two Blade films. Um, and I thought that the character of Blade was so interesting because he was uh, half vampire and half human. He had the abilities of vampires, but he also had, you know, obviously human traits and he could be out during the day. There's a lot going on in the first film spe- specifically. Uh, I know Drew and I can would dissect it because it's it's not just a superhero movie. It's also a horror film. There's elements of black exploitation in that film, and I think it all comes together to make a very interesting and unique experience. I'm a fan of comic book superheroes. I'm also a fan of horror, and I thought that film did a great job honoring both genres as well. And also, it's a martial arts movie too. I should say it's so funny because Drew literally mentioned it in my movie cliche, and I'm like, oh man, skip it over to my uh, to my second choice. But um, I really think that the, the first and second movie specifically, uh, third movie I did not care for, um, but I still like the character of Blade in the film, but I thought he didn't have much to do. But um, I just like the idea of a character having traits of like a monster and then also trying to work around them and make and do good for the world. So if I, if I can interject um, to just say a lot of people will never understand what it was like in the year between Batman and Robin in 1997 and mm-hmm. then Blade in 1998, that there were so many critics declaring, declaring that comic book superhero movies were dead. Comic book movies were dead. There was no coming back from the, <clears throat> from the radioactive wasteland that Batman and Robin and a couple other movies around that time had created. And Blade opens up and it's like nothing you've ever seen. And I'm pretty sure like not only is it tonally kind of the kickoff of everything we have now, uh, but I, I think it's in the opening credits. I I don't know who our audience is here, so I'm going to, I'll be nice. 
there it's, is, our, it's our moms. That's there's it. a there is a very lewd act being performed on one of the main char- character gentlemen, right? Like in in a public like like rave or like a or it's like a party or something. I, mean, I can't remember if it's a rave or a party, but like yeah, he's just sitting there and and that's happening while the credits are rolling, and and like so you're not even that far into the movie and you're like okay so this is different. You know, like there was just no interest in like Roy was talking about earlier, like softening or making this more accessible for all audiences and all demos. It was like the movie wanted to be really clear as to this is a no holds barred adult film and it's held it's held up like the test of time. It's it's the first of the the wave that we're writing now, you know, exactly. Yeah. And it it, like I said, it, it definitely it was dark and mysterious. It was adult oriented. It could, it showed you that. I mean, for me, I mean, I know other people had seen obviously, you know, superhero movies for more for, more for adults, but this I felt was like, it, it was definitely, I enjoyed it as a teenager. I enjoyed it as an adult. It transcends the genre I feel, and you can enjoy it uh, from different, from a different time in your life. If you're an adult, if you're a kid, if you love, well, I don't want to say if it's for kids, but I definitely feel <laughs> like it's definitely a movie that, that, uh, I think transcends the form. I, I think, I think it was, I think though it's necessary. It's not that all movies should fit that mold. No, it's true. just that coming out of a movie where characters are ice skating and, you know, <laughs> making campy one-liner jokes back to the 60s show without understanding, in my opinion, the depth mm-hmm. of the 60s show and how that was fresh at the time and, and worked on multiple levels for both adults as a satire and kids as, as a, as a I'm fun a... straight thing. And Batman Robin was neither a fun straight thing nor a really right. fun campy, uh, a campy entry in the way that would appeal to most people, arguably. And so a year later, you have to kind of swing the pendulum in the other direction to wake adults up and say, hey, this stuff doesn't have to be inherently stupid. It doesn't you don't have to be talked down to. You don't have to talk down to the material. And then you can walk back from Blade to things being more accessible for families and kids again. That would dovetail nicely with uh, Derek always asserts that um, every art form is a reaction to some art form that came before it. So, mm-hmm. so you can think of Blade in the same vein as a reaction to what was happening immediately before. I'm trying yeah. to channel the voice of Derek since he isn't with us today. That was a good, um, that was a good shout out. No, yeah, it was. Yeah. I'm from what? Japan. What is- he lives in Japan. He's not from Japan. Well, I guess he was I don't do a good Derek impression. Um, I do. He's going to kill me. I do, have, I do have to nerd out for one moment with Drew, because I don't know if he knows this, and I just learned this recently. Uh, did you know about the alternate ending with Morbius and who plays Morbius in the alternate ending of the first Blade? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Okay. So there's a scene. You can see it on... It's just a one-shot deal. It's when... Uh, Blade uh, emerges in the sunlight at the very end, and he sees a guy on a rooftop. And apparently, it's supposed to be Morbius, and it's played by the director Stephen Norrington. So, thought that was a very interesting bit of trivia. That I don't know. I, I just wanted to bring that up. Anyway, um, do uh, Roy, do you have a recommendation this week, or, a, uh, or... I actually do Sorry. not. Um, except that I think last podcast I was two episodes into uh, Alone. Oh yeah, the survivalist series on Netflix. So now I, I watched um, what I'm on episode nine. There's mm-hmm. two episodes left, and uh, and it gets it gets way better. I mean, it was already 
good in the first two episodes and now i'm completely hooked and uh i might catch the last two episodes as soon as this podcast uh finishes because uh, oh. I want to know uh, who's the last man standing or woman standing. Uh, no a, spoilers. A recurring um, recommendation but, from uh, right here. Yeah, Drew. I don't know if you've heard of this show, but it's a it's a survivalist show. It's a it's a reality show where they put ten people in uh, remote areas of the Arctic. Uh, it's actually it's a different remote location every season. This season happens to be the Arctic, and uh, they just have to survive on their own. There's nobody around, nothing, and I think they're allowed uh, ten items to bring. So a lot of them will bring like a bow and arrow or like a, a pot <laughs> to cook with. You can only bring ten things, so you have to be very uh, selective with what you decide to bring. The, the um, way you the way you pitch this to me, I just imagine like they're in the Arctic. There's no there's no buildings. They just give them what they've asked for, and then they leave in a hot air balloon to go. Don't die. <laughs> Yeah, minus awesome. the hot air balloon part because they leave in a boat. Uh, but other than that, that's basically what happens. And um, they, they're they there for a surprisingly long time, uh, much longer than I would last, for instance. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm always very amazed and impressed with uh, people who have these skills to, to survive and live off the land. Um, you know, I never, I never went to Boy Scouts or anything like that. So uh, I'm pretty sure I would not last long out there. Thanks for joining us today. Please send us a message at coast to coast to coast podcast at gmail.com. That's coast the number two, coast the number two, and then coast podcast at gmail.com. We'll be back next week with our top choices of our greatest superheroes of all time.